Welcome to Scale School, my friends. I'm Dan Bolton, and my purpose here is simple. I wanna help you increase the scalability of your coaching or consulting business so as it gets bigger, life gets better. Here, we will be talking everything from getting clients, keeping clients, teams, leadership, but most importantly, making scaling simple and fun again. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you get a ton out of today's episode. We are here, welcome to MindShift. Uh, I'm joined by my father, Erwin Raphael McManus, and our really, really good friend and longtime friend, Dan Bolton. Longtime listener, first time caller. Great to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Give us an introduction. I know you've just flown in from Bali. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. I've been getting the bronze skin comments. Like, you guys are Latino. I'm like, you know, white boy looking at bronze (laughs) up, and so Bali's been great. Um, yeah, so my name's Dan, uh, live in Bali from New Zealand, hence, hence the accent. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I could go all the way back, but basically, uh, you know, grew up in New Zealand, single parent household, dropped out of school when I was 16. Actually, you guys won't know this. I was the youngest sex ed teacher in New Zealand. So at 16, I dropped out and then I got drafted to go teach sex ed despite not really knowing anything about sex. <laughs> oh, sorry, is that because you were an expert at 16? Or like, no, 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 no. But it's so funny because it was like I was in schools. Uh, talk, it was mainly like life choices and things sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was talking to people like two years younger than me. Okay. And so it was both an advantage and a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, and it was around that time that I actually discovered you uh, when you when you had a podcast and churches were early on podcasts. Like yeah. Now that you think about it, it's like 2006, yeah. having a podcast, it was like- yeah. Super early adapter. Su- mm-hmm. Super adapter. different. And so I was working at a retail store and every morning I would be vacuuming up the store. I think you guys caught, did you say vacuuming or hoovering? Hoovering, no, vacuuming. Yeah, vacuum. yeah perfect. Vacuum. I was like, yeah, yeah. And so I'd be cleaning up the store and I'd be listening to this guy uh, speaking out of a nightclub in LA. And uh, obviously got to meet you guys a couple of years later and um, was a youth pastor through basically 18 to 28 years old. And then five years ago, stepped into the online space and have kind of been figuring it out from there and started out cool. doing everything for everyone, building websites, running Facebook ads, coaching people, and have since uh, kind of refined what I'm doing and, and now kind of really help people build and monetize personal brands online. That's amazing. Ma- so, and married and two kids. I feel like I need to give a little yeah, shout yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your wife's yeah, amazing. Yeah. In case she listens. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> what am I? Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> have to shout her out so my, she keeps letting you world, come out. my my wife, my two yes. kids. No, but yes. we just celebrated 11 years uh, last amazing. Friday. Amazing. How old were you when you got married? Uh, we got married. I just turned 22. She oh, was wow. 21. And okay. we've been together since we were 18. So I'm 33 now. Okay. Wow. So, um, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, we, were, we were child child bride and groom. Yeah. in the classic christian space you know so it seems like the classic christian space where they marry you off for goats and, and cows and chickens <laughs> yeah. um and new zealand would be for sheep for sheep and that's right yeah, yeah yeah so you you obviously you skipped over it because you know we know much more about your story but you had a reinvention you had to reinvent yourself maybe three or four years ago yeah yeah well, and i think even in the last uh four or five years i've reinvented myself multiple times but i think like <laughs> um yeah it was really interesting uh I definitely was not a uh, diehard in my blood entrepreneur, but as I was a youth pastor, if you looked at my Kindle, if you looked at my library, it was like all of these business books and they're like 10% about the stuff I should actually be learning about as a pastor. And so like, there was this sense of, I wanted to create something. There was definitely an income element of that too. You know, I was, I was pretty broke throughout all of my years working at the church. And yeah. so there was that aspiration there. Um, but what happened in 2018 when I finished up, I, I felt like I was gonna be a pastor forever at that point. We were actually talking about 
um, you know, planning a church. And we thought this is what we're going to do forever. But we came into 2018 and just intuitively felt like it was uh, next chapter and another move. And I was waiting for this big neon light sign moment of like, this is what you're supposed to do now. And I was waiting for like a job offer or something like that. And I mean, dude, I dropped out of high school. I don't have any secondary education. And so there was there was no job offer on the mm -hmm. table. And so uh, I decided to employ myself. <laughs> and, um, and so I started a business and um, I was seeing all these Facebook ads at the time and things like that about social media marketing agencies. And so that's what I stepped into. But what I didn't realize at the time was two things that happened over that decade and really even earlier than that, starting at 16. One, I'd spoken on stage probably six or 700 times. So that was a really cool part of my role at uh, the church I was at, both with teenagers, with adults. And the other thing, and this, is, this sounds so minor, but as a youth pastor, I constantly had to be marketing to teenagers why they should come back for next week. <laughs> and so it wasn't as easy as like, hey guys, we have this thing. It was like yeah. every week there was like promotions and you know, you know all the, the whole works. And so uh, I'd done a lot of social media marketing in that way. And so there was a natural skill set that was there that could be used in business, but it was a huge evolution of identity. It was like everyone had seen me as this uh, youth pastor for so long. And then I stepped into the business space and people were really confused. And, and, and I, this sounds like a joke, but I literally had people that just had no idea what I did, that the two most obvious answers was like, Dan's doing something super illegal online because he's just <laughs> making money out of nowhere. Yeah. Or he's joined one of those pyramid schemes. Like he's yeah. like a part of Amway or Avon or something yeah. like that. I was confused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. And I th it was COVID too, you, for a lot of it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of this, this separation where I was used mm -hmm. to seeing you maybe once a year or once every couple of years. Yeah. And then you just kind of went dark and then it was this marketing thing and you'd post these things and it was so you know i would we i had no idea what you're doing and yeah. then at one point we jumped you moved to la for a little bit and yeah. we were launching the art of communication and you're like oh that's what i do yeah and i was like amazing because it's not what i do so let's, let's <laughs> let me ask you all the questions and there was a series of i don't know how long we did it maybe six weeks two months mm -hmm. of just every friday was like a breakfast burrito at this spot down the road and we would just sit and talk for an hour or two and you kind of would walk us through ideas concepts and kind of different strategies and then it's now it's been a year or two later and yeah and it's it's i'm glad i'm glad to have you back i'm glad you're here so it's, it's good a, to be here you reinvented your way back into our life <laughs> that's right that's right you can't get rid of me no we can't get rid of you yeah well i think we should also add the fact that um you you were volunteering your insight your experience your um your knowledge and just because of your commitment to us and there came a certain point where we just really, Aaron and I both went, wow, he's just adding so much value. We just have to hire him. And, you know, so we made a shift. It didn't change our, strangely, it didn't change our friendship at all. Right. But we did make a shift where we brought you on our team and, you know, just as a consultant. And um, you're, you're the first consultant we have ever hired, I think, probably. In, yeah, in, well, I think pretty much. Yeah, you know? ever, ever. I'll you, claim it. That sounds yeah, great. It's great. Yeah. It's amazing. And I, I mean, yeah, you're an incredible a uh, asset to the, to the team. But I think bigger than that, you have like an incredible way of bringing value to situations. I think knowing you as like a youth pastor before, which is so funny, right? Like I, it feels like a different life time oh, ago. It feels like a lifetime ago and it feels like a different life. Yeah. But you were always bringing value to every situation. So like how did you carry that over from maybe the, the church world or kind of that background to then going – what, what was that crossover when you did reinvent yourself? What did that look like? Like, how did you find value and then bring it to people who didn't necessarily need it? Yeah, so... Or know they needed it. Yeah, so if, if I go way back in, in the life story for a second, so 
I grew up in really turbulent family environments. My mum and dad split when I was three weeks old. I grew up with my single mother when, when I was 10, 11, 12. I got heavy into drugs and drinking. And I had uh, older brothers and sisters that, you know, as we affectionately say, the underground economies. And mm-hmm. uh, even to this day, my brother is the leader of the biggest gang in our city. And so my life was going down a path really, really fast. And uh, through um, getting a crush on the girl next door, <laughs> quite literally, uh, she, she invited me to church. Okay. And uh, it was at the time I, I first experienced like male role models, hmm. like just dudes that didn't want anything from me, but just were there. And it was funny because they were so old to me at the time, but they were like 18 and 19. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so um, for me, that was so impactful that I realized that the value that someone could bring to a life when they were just uh, selflessly helping, serving, loving, and that put me on a really strong path throughout uh, my teenage years because even though I dropped out of, of high school, it, it actually was more about my inability to live within the rules and the confines of school than it was about the education element or whatever. And so I fell on my feet really fast. I had a great job right away. Uh, and while everyone else was living the 16-year-old life, I was driving from city to city, helping our little church planting network with music and things like that. And so service really quickly became a part of my identity because of the way that I'd been served and impacted by so many other people. Hmm. And so when I was in my 20s and living out this life of a youth pastor, on one side, it made no sense to me because I had friends that were going to university, getting real world education, coming back with what looked like skills and obviously had degrees and they were getting jobs and buying houses. And my wife and I were like living week to week. But the way I just kept reconciling this was, uh, I am living beyond myself, which at least in this season seems to make a lot of sense. And, and to my core identity, it would just seem to be the, the reason I was put on this earth. Hmm. And so I'll never forget finishing up my time as a youth pastor and I'm sitting down with my boss at the time. And I said, I can't believe I'm not gonna be a pastor anymore. This is so weird. Hmm. And he's like, I don't think you get it. You're always gonna be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I just laughed and I was like, oh, that's great. And then I fully forgot about that for a couple of years. And and when I say fully forgot about it, I mean like I didn't even try and serve people in the new thing. I was like, I want to make money. Like I want to like, I want to like get some income. I want to build a business. Uh, and it wasn't until I got to this point where the business had grown so fast. I had a team of 13 people, uh, but I was peak stressed. I was drinking every night. I was like, my life externally looked amazing. I was getting awards, I was getting accolades. Internally, I was crumbling. So much of it, I realized, came from the fact that I had lost my intention to live from a place of service. Mm. And so ironically, coming back to that place of service uh, and really just figuring out like on a one-to-one level, how can I help people? How can I serve people? Ironically, that's brought me more money than I could ever imagine, right? Because there's no lack of people who have problems that they want solved. Mm-hmm. But also it just brought so much deep meaning. Mm. And so I think it's like the reinventing myself has been less about becoming a new version of myself and more about remembering who I truly am, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. It's funny because when I first, my first memories of you, uh, you were the youth pastor at a church. And I still remember the, you know, the pastor saying to me, because I, I, I brought you up because I, I felt you had a really clear talent. And and he said, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's talented, but you, you know, he doesn't listen. 
or he's talented, but you were he's he, talented. He goes rogue. You were you were he's talented, but yeah, you, you know he yeah. makes me nervous. He's talented, but you know he you know he has to grow. He and I realized, and it's funny. Um, I have a friend named Craig Rochelle. Yo, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, sick. <laughs> yeah, and we just finished uh, doing his podcast together, and and he kept talking about great leaders are always extremists. They have some area where they're an extremist. Right. Yeah. And and I I think that that was a part of your own on I, I think your own um, expression without being aware of it because my sense of you is you really wanted to fit in right you really wanted to contribute like I did not f experience you as dangerous but definitely leadership experienced you as dangerous yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because you were just naturally counterintuitive yeah and and so you know I think you're in a great space because you're designed in a certain way where you're kind of supposed to create the universe around your life. Right. And um, because you're just not really designed to fit into already established structures. Yeah. That's why you didn't, I guess, finish high school. You're very smart. So clearly finishing high school wouldn't have been a challenge for you, except that you didn't do it the way everybody else thought you should do it. Right. And which is one of the reasons I like you. And I think it's one of the reasons you work so well in our team is we like aberrant thinking you know we, we like people who think in unexpected ways and that's just very natural to you mm -hmm. but you do it in a very like kind gracious loving um human way mm -hmm. and you know and i just think that's one of the things that's really interesting about you is that um you you you, you think with a unique perspective but you also do care about treating people kindly and well i think that combination is very dynamic that's very kind of you to say. Can I ask a question yeah. on this? I think so often the people that I admire the most have mm -hmm. an edge about them, an mm -hmm. obsession, uh, that unbalanced nature. And I think a lot of leaders and creatives have that especially. And then they step into the world and they realize that edge has rough, rough, rough parts that can rub against other people. Mm -hmm. So how do people maintain that level of uniqueness and edge and... Uh, the positive sense of unbalance. Like I've been reading about uh, Michelangelo mm -hmm. and uh, that dude is wild. Mm -hmm. Like he, I don't know if you know this. So like in order to um, really understand how the human body works so he could carve the statue of David, he just dissected dead people. And he dissected dozens and dozens and dozens until he understood every aspect of the tissue and the tendon and the way mm. that this muscle connected to this muscle wild and he did this he did this at 19 years old right and so then and then from there it was like every statue he did beyond that was just like 10x better than the last because yeah. he was so deeply obsessed and unbalanced so so i'm curious like how how do you think people can cultivate that sense of like obsession without uh taming their fire putting it out but also not be so disruptive they can't work with other people work on teams contribute in a way that's just beyond their own art well, i mean right away with michelangelo what came to my mind is um, he's he's my kind of guy, unless he starts dissecting living people. <laughs> so so I think there is a a fine line. Right. And uh, I find it so interesting because you look at the perception of it, right? Like the, Michelangelo now is a revered artist, mm -hmm. someone who's created something that people travel all from around the world to come and see. Yeah. But he hung out with dead people. Well, like, not, not only that, it was what, illegal. It was illegal yeah. at the time, so he had to go through all these back well, I'm, alleys. I'm pretty sure it's still illegal. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that part's definitely still illegal. No, it was even like more extreme. I can't remember what the superstition was around it, but like he had to fully go in. Like there was no like there was no scientific uh, precedent for dissecting dead people basically right. at that time. So he was like 
groundbreaking in that. So that's what's so insane about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, th- imagine it's like, oh, there's Michael. Yeah. That guy hangs with dead people. Yeah. yeah. I just could not. I think I don't. I think that we we have a hard time breaking through like other people's uh, I I you know a projection of our identities enough mm-hmm. that like the expectations of other people that I could not imagine what it would be like to to actually hang with dead people on a, on a daily basis. But I guess we do it all the time. You know, if you live in LA, there's dead people walking around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when I when I first um, heard uh, Craig talking about you know that he looks for people who are extremists or have some kind of extreme exp- uh, expression. I really did think about Aaron going, um, a part of Aaron's huge challenge in life is when he's surrounded on people who are really normal and they are really comfortable with normalcy. They're really comfortable with status quo. He just moves into an, um, an intense version of himself, almost in a disruptive way because he just has to disrupt right. the status quo, even if it's not a healthy way of disrupting it. And, and I think a part of leadership is realizing you are different than other people. You are obsessive. And I just heard someone else's talk to saying, hey, you, you know, and he's a follower of Jesus saying, you know, Jesus's model is different, you, you know, than um, the people who are teaching you to be like Kobe Bryant or to be like Steph Curry or to be the best in the world. And that's okay, you know, for them, but that's not okay for real life. And I thought, yeah, I, I don't agree. <laughs> you know, I actually think that you should be obsessive to live the life you're created to live. And but obsessive doesn't mean that you're um, imposing your view of life on everyone else. Right. You really have to get people room and oxygen to live the, the life they're created to live or the life they want to live. Even if you don't think it's the life they're created to live. If someone wants less, it's not your job to um, demand that they want more. And, but I do think it's in a sense, I think it's part of my calling to make people uncomfortable with average. Right. I just, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, and in any environment I'm in, I'm going to make sure the status quo is disrupted. I'm going to make sure that comfort and complacency is, um, yeah, I don't know if I believe you, to be honest. I, sorry, I'm just trying to make sure that the videographer can get around the corner. But I don't know if I believe you, because I do actually think obsessive people are very, they very much are oppressive people in their own way. Like, you were, we talked about this last night on the drive back from the game. I was like, how come it's not okay for you to, like, have other people do things in the way that they do them? You need them to do them your way or think the way that you think. No, it disappoints and, and, you. No, it, like, I, breaks your heart. Okay, no, way. let's be clear. It we're, drives we're, you crazy. We're talking about speakers. I don't, I'm happy with speakers being who they are. No, in, no, no, in their, my, I mean, no, I'm starting to go, in, no, in their platforms, it. in their platforms. But when they come to a platform that I'm curating it, I admit it, it does matter to me if I think that they're relevant for this space right. and it, it's no, hard no, no, for no. me. And I mm-hmm. am obsessive about relevance in language and communication. We're gonna to fight today. This is the day of violence. It'd be good to have fight. It'd be good. We have Daniel. So this is the way that this uh, uh, rolled out and played out. We, we were talking about so the arena has already happened, but next year's happening. So the October tenth and eleventh, eleventh and twelfth, mm-hmm. and he has already booked like nine speakers for next year, maybe ten. Like, and I called him yesterday and I was like, "Hey, man, no more," because yeah. we we made this problem this year where he poked 14 people and there's not enough time slots in the day for these speakers. And we're like Ted talking these things. We have incredible speakers. Incredible. For the speakers. Uh, like, unreal. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. I'm, I'm pulling up the thing. Cause like the list is like so wild that 
It's like Brendan Bouchard, Brendan Bouchard, Donald Miller, Chris Doe, Dan Fleshman, Jimmy Rex, Sean Kelly, Will Giardo. Guidardo. We cannot say his last name for <laughs> our Guidardo. life. But uh, yeah. but and I was like, hey, you've never ever booked a conference the year before the actual conference has started. Like you've just never been this prepared. And I was like, do you like the business people more than you like the church speakers? And this is where it, that's this is how the, the the fight unrolled unraveled. And, and and I think some of it is that in the business space, I just have a different filter, right? That I work from, but I have to admit, in the faith space, my filter is incredibly ruthless. Yeah, um, because when I fill the room with people I care about who don't believe in God, how a person communicates faith can either bring them closer or push them further away. Yeah. Well, I don't think yeah. it even goes beyond that because yeah. I think it, I can say it. This is, I'm the guest on the podcast, so you yeah. can just can't have me back if I go too far. I think the problem is as a former pastor, that pastors communicate and view the world in such a narrow way that even if they're talking at a business conference on a business topic, they're talking about it in a Christian way. Yes. So it's not even just that faith is then communicated in a way that's not relating to the person furthest from God or, 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 or an outsider to this person. It's that the filter of the language they use and the way that they see people and the way that they communicate is through this really narrow filter of, of Christianity for many of them. That's true and because so, a couple of the speakers that are really strong Christians, I didn't invite because their language is, um, it's so insider language. Right. And, it, and it, it's actually more rooted in cliches than it is in, um, in real life. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree. You're, you're right. It's it's not just the way you talk about faith. It's the way you talk about life. Yeah. It's the way you talk about everything. And it becomes really challenging for me. So yes, I, I am obsessive about those things. But you have no expectation from these business guys. You're not even worried about them at all. I'm not. It's really funny. It's true. You're only worried about the one guy that you know is a Christian. <laughs> is a Christian. <laughs> I'm trying to think which one. But we both know him. He's our good friend. <laughs> and, uh, but 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 the expectation changes. So why is that? Well, I, I think for one thing is that in the business world, it's it's very like ground zero. Are they doing it well? You know, if it's it's if it's about marketing, do they know how to market? If they know how to scale a business, do they know how to scale a business? If it's about building a great corporate culture, do they know how to create a great corporate culture? And so I'm looking at people going, are they actually really good? at what they do mm, right but in the christian space it's always about um can they communicate the same thing in a fresh way yeah well can i can i share my perspective for a second all right so this has been unreal for my communication in the last five mm -hmm. years learning learning about marketing mm -hmm. and psychology so in the marketing space in the business space you have a product and it is up to you to market it in a way that deeply connects with people yes and so depending on who you're trying to reach, changes the way how you communicate what the product is about, its features, its benefits, etc. And so when business people come into a space, they are so sensitive about the people in the room because it's not about I have a talk and this is my product and here it is. It, they're trying to figure out how to connect because that's what their whole livelihood is based on. Right? Mm -hmm. Marketing and sales of businesses, the, the ability to at, a, at scale, mm -hmm. connect with a lot of individuals. And so they're yes. thinking about the psychology. So think about the room of people, what are their problems? What are their fears? What are their frustrations? What are their aspirations? Whereas I find a lot of preachers just have a message and they have a language and then they'll come into every environment and every different room with different groups of people and bring the same message 
and the same the same way of saying it. In, in other words, the product doesn't change. And so therefore all they're doing is just talking about the product in the way that it is, as opposed to bringing their message, the product, and marketing it in a different way that actually connects with the individual. And that's why I think business people are so good uh, at speaking. And I, I would say this as a former pastor, so much more than pastors because they're so other centric. They know that if they cannot connect, it will not convert. And if it does not convert, their business ceases to exist. I couldn't have said it better. Could you explain that there? <laughs> <laughs> I understand it. No, no. it but it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a, I think it's a ruthless appreciation for the fact that if you do not convert, it won't exist. And that's the bottom line, right? Where yeah. I think in, in the church world, it's like, well, but that was nice. Yeah, we th well, we think about the survival, the survival needs, right? right? Churches will exist no matter how you communicate and how well you communicate the message because the scriptures teach that you're supposed to be a part of a church. And so even right. the quote-unquote worst churches will yeah. still have attendance. Yeah. But businesses don't get the same sympathy and empathy from people. Right, right, right. And so in order to sell a product to exist, to scale and all of that, you have to be empathetic and connect with individuals. Yeah, I think maybe some of it is a, uh, a different perspective on who if you can use this language, who the customer is. Right. For most um, people in the space of faith, their customer are Christians. Yeah. And so they craft a message in a way that's relevant and right. connecting to them. Yeah. But for me, my customer is the 8 billion people that have not met Jesus. Right. And the Christians are employees with me. I'm an employee. We're all employees. We're we're all here serving the customer, right? Which is the person without Christ. Yeah. And and so the language shifts because when your customer is the person who already believes, it makes sense that the language matches their needs. When your customer is the person who has not yet come to believe, then you have to change your language. You have to change your approach toward communication, mm. and and the way that you bring a person to that moment where they see who Jesus is. Mm. And and so I think some of it is just, we don't always have the same customer in mind. Right. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, yeah. it has a lot to do, I think, with the need you're trying to meet with the audience, right? Yeah. Uh, but I wanna go back to the reinvention of Dan Bolton. So what was it, what was it like, what was it like that first jump going from, okay, no longer have a job, yeah, and a, a low paying job, which matters because it's not like you have a runway of things you can like transition on. Oh no, right? I had so, one week's worth of pay coming, like that's, literally. We had, that's wild. Yeah. And then you're married with, with I had one kid at one the time. One kid at a time. Yeah. And then you decide to do, like what was that first step? Um, and then, and so, then, so yeah. literally let me walk you through the first step. So we didn't own a car and someone gave us money the week before beautiful person a part of our community gave us money to buy a car so that was step number one was day one i bought a car because previously up until then i was using a car that the church had lent me and i didn't even own a laptop so i bought a car that first day i borrowed uh, my wife olivia's laptop and i sat down i was like right i need to start a business and i did all the stuff you you don't really need in the first like i was doing the equivalent of like making the business cards yeah. like i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna build a website and it's gonna be amazing yeah and eventually what i just realized was um there were all of these people that trusted me enough to give me a shot. Mm -hmm. And so even though they didn't know Dan the marketer, they knew Dan the human. And I was able to reach out to people and, and have a really successful first month um, because I'd been building my reputation for so long, right? And we, so when you think about like the online space, right? A personal brand is just your reputation at scale with mm -hmm. people through the online world. Yeah. 
And so I was so grateful that I didn't realize that I'd been building my reputation up until this point and that was gonna help me in business, but that's mm -hmm. exactly what happened. And um, it was really interesting because in that first 30 days, uh, it was so challenging, but it was so exciting. And I was just filled with this delusional optimism. I think one of my gifts in life is that if I see someone else having something, I believe it's possible for me. Mm. And so there was a- Say that again, because that is a critical mind shift that yes. people make. Yeah, if, if I see someone else experiencing something, I believe it's possible for me. Mm -hmm. So there was a guy that has become a great friend of mine called Sam Ovens. And so he's made uh, over $100 million in online consulting at this point. Now he's built a software business. But he was the guy in 2018 when I launched. And the perfect thing was he was from New Zealand. So he was now living in New York, making money online. And mm. so I was looking at him, not knowing him personally, but going, well, if it's possible for that guy who came from Auckland, New Zealand, two hours away from where I'm living, I think it could be possible for me. Now, I wasn't thinking at that scale, but I was like, if he can make the millions, I can make the thousands. Like I can figure <laughs> this out. Yeah. And I think like that's been one of my, uh, the, the biggest things for me, I'd say, and this is why I've loved working with you guys is I think if I have a superpower, it's that I'm willing to be taught and willing to learn. And so then all I did is I bought that guy's course and I did everything he told me to do. Hmm. And it actually worked. How much is the course? The course was $2,000 and, and you, I paid it on a credit card and I was terrified. <laughs> and how many, okay, so you, you talked about the first 30 days. So you violated a Dave Ramsey rule. <laughs> you went into debt. Well, that, and that, that was a, that, I violated a personal rule. We'd never gone into debt before. Wow. So that was like this big moment of like, yeah. I don't have money, I don't know what to do, uh, but I feel like I need to be a part of this course. And the, the hardest part of that was someone had already given me a bootleg version of it. So I already had the whole course. Mm. And I remember going through the first module and uh, my wife said it like this. She said, do you really think God is gonna bless a business that starts out like this? Mm. With you going through someone's bootleg version of the content. And so not only did I have to ignore, I already had the whole course for free. I put it on a credit card, which we'd never done. And then, uh, and it was in US dollars. So it was like 3,000, 3,500 New Zealand. It was insane. Mm. But I just went through and did everything he told me to do and it actually worked. And I think there's so much to be said around innovation and creativity. And I think too many people don't innovate and don't create enough. But I also think when you're getting started, there's something just to be said about imitating and emulating. Yeah. I think people can create way too soon and they look at someone else's uh, business model or blueprint and they go, that's great, but I'm like a little bit different or I'm gonna try my own thing. And they try and blaze their own trail rather than follow through the trail that's already been blazed mm. for them. And I think that was one of the great things for me is I knew how much I didn't know and I wasn't I wasn't fooling myself that I that I was smarter than I was. And so I just did everything that that coach told me. And then I bought another course eventually to scale to the next level. And I just did everything they taught me. Mm. And it's really only been the last 18 months or two years that I'm like, all right, I've been in the game for a while. How do I get creative and find my own flavor and find my own way? But I think those early days, it was literally just like, I need to be a sponge. I need to be a student. I need to learn. I need mentorship. And then I just need to do everything they say mm. without you know, second guessing everything and overthinking it. So you talked about the first 30 days. So where in the 30 days did you decide to buy the, the course? Was uh, it in the first 30 or did, was it let down the road after you had kind of? That's a great question. No, no, it wasn't down the road. It was either just before, like as in days before or like a week into it. I think what happened was I got two clients on my first day. I and what did those clients yeah, hire yeah, you to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get so, real granular. I'll get really granular. So first 30 days, I got five clients. The first two clients I got, one was a real estate agent that was uh, looking for help with his social media. 
The reason he hired me is because I'd already given him advice and he made $30,000 off one post that I told him to do. And then I was like, great, like you can hire me for $250 an hour uh, and we'll do a coaching session every week. He's like, fantastic. Then I uh, worked with a personal trainer who was trying to figure out how to use social media to get clients online. So I was both taking my experience as youth pastor using social media, mm -hmm. as well as everything I was learning in this course. So I was like <laughs> one step ahead as a student. I was like the student teacher. Yeah. The third client was I took over the social media for a grocery store. So we had like a grocery store in our local area. And so I would go in with my iPhone and take photos and figure out like, how do we do competitions and things like that? And they hired me for that. But the guy who was manager there went to my church, okay. right? So these are all church connections, right? Yeah. The fourth client was a guy that I worked out with and he owned a, like a vehicle financing place. And I was like, there's this thing called Facebook ads. I think I can get you leads with Facebook ads. And he was like, great. And then um, I gave him a number and he's like, where did you get that number? I was like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Like, I was like, just making it up as I went, you know, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be worth this. Um, and then I was building a website for a construction company. Okay. So truly like doing everything. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think uh, in the business space, there's a lot of talk around niching and focus. And I think uh, in the early days, I think there's something to be said about becoming uh, someone who is a jack of all trades, having a wide skill set. I think niching comes over time once you're clearer on the skill set you actually want to develop. But I think uh, so many people, they, they try and create a one page business plan type thing. And they go, I've never done this before, but I'm going to work with chiropractors and I'm going to run a Facebook ads agency and I'm going to do this without any knowledge. And so I think spreading myself thin in a good way was so helpful to cover so much ground and go, okay, now what's my next move? And I did that for about six to eight months of really varied work and it was like hard and it was making money but it was like uh every offer was different every client was different and then over the next year what happened was i figured out my real power alley was working with business coaches i'd work with a number of them at that time and so i just figured out a, a basically an agency that we ran facebook ads for business consultants who wanted more sales calls so if you like think back a year previous i was doing mm. everything for everyone and then the next piece was like, I really productized a service. So I really I really dialed in like one system and became uh, one of the best at this particular skill set. So if you had a $27 ebook that you sold, fantastic, we couldn't help you. If you had a physical product that you sold, like we weren't the people, we only helped business consultants and experts get more sales calls with webinars. Hmm. And then that kind of launched into, you know, the next couple of years and took us through COVID and all of that. And Amazing. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So that first jump, you really just said anything you, you can do, I'm gonna try it. Anything you need, I'm gonna do it. And there was nothing below me. I was like, I need to make money. I have <laughs> I have a wife, I have a kid, I'm willing to do anything. And yeah. so like, I think back to like what I was charging at that time, the prices, all of that. It was, um, it was making it- We like, should have definitely got in earlier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're you're right. expensive that's now. That's right. Well, the, you're so, so <laughs> yeah, we're we're not for, $250 an hour, that's for sure. I know, a New Zealand dollars, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're paying you in America though. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. You know, I thought you were paying an Indonesian rupee. Um, so I think, yeah, I need to change the, the currency to Bali. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're all familiar with Alex Omozi, right? Yeah, he has yeah, this yeah. amazing book. Everyone should read it if they're interested in business called $100 million offers. Yeah. But the thesis of that book is you need to create an offer so good that people feel stupid saying no to it. Mm -hmm. And that's actually easier said, like, it's, it's, it's actually easy. Meaning, like, you figure out a problem that you can solve. And then you just over deliver. Like in other words, you don't figure out like, how am I gonna handle 20 clients when you have one? 
You just go, what am I willing to do for the next client in order to get this one over the line? Yeah. You might be willing to do twice the amount of work yeah. that you're willing to do for client number 10, yeah. but it's gonna help you build momentum and find skills and improve your offer. Yeah. And so I think I would, there was just nothing I wasn't willing to do. Like, yeah. like I would have a client that's like, I need to hire someone for Facebook ads. Do you know anyone? I'm like, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and then like, I need to like hire a content agency. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And until yeah. I knew what I could and couldn't do and yeah. did and didn't want to do, I just did everything. Yeah, there's something you said that you, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago. You said nothing was beneath you. Right. I think that's something that's so interesting because when, and then that uh, coupled with the idea that you bring so much value to people before you ever charge them. Right. Right. You, how many times did we meet where it was just like, ah, oh, I have nothing. I, you literally say this, I want nothing from you. Yeah. Just want to be a friend and help you succeed. Yeah. And it, and it was such a natural uh, decision when I was like, well, should we hire Dan? I was like, yes, we're hiring Dan for everything he's done, not for everything he's going to do. Right. And that's something that you've kind of always been a part of your world mm -hmm. of you pay people for their, to, to take time off, not to work more for you. And can you walk us through kind of how you got to that space and maybe how that might connect? Yeah, especially when you're in um, like a volunteer space like the church, you know, we always hired from within here. Um, I would hire the person who was volunteering so much that I didn't know how they were sleeping. It, it, you know, I didn't know how they're getting time with their wife and their kids. And so literally in my hiring meeting, I would say, hey, I'm not paying you to do anything more than you're doing. I'm actually paying you so you can have time to spend with your family because you're already doing everything I want you to do. Mm. And it just, it, it's to me, it's such an interesting shift because I, I've had other situations where staff people have come and said, hey, can I, can I take on this other project while I'm working here? Because that would be like my passion project. And I said, go get hired by them and let us be your passion project because I want the energy of your passion. Right. Because you'll give more creativity and more imagination and more time to the thing that you're actually passionate about. So if we're not your passion project, we're the wrong place yeah. to be at. And and so I would hire people in the sense that they were volunteers working another full-time job and we were their passion project. And what was happening at Mosaic was their passion project and it was such a joy to release that person's time. You know, and you were already doing everything for us that we hired you to do. I can't think of anything that you added you just kept doing the same thing. You just, on one day you're doing it for free, and then the next day you're our highest paid consultant in my history. And I've never blinked twice. Like, in fact, at one point, I think you sent us a text, hey, if, you know, if I'm no longer a value or if you don't need me anymore, I'm happy just to go back to being a volunteer. And me and Aaron talked about it for like 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Like yeah. saying like, no, I don't want Google anymore. <laughs> no, I still want Google. I still would like my iPhone. No, you just, you, you know, it, I think, and that's, that's sorry, you, you're no, going to cut you off. No, but you're, you're incredibly skilled at bringing value mm -hmm. and continually bringing value. So, so when, you know, you gave us the roadmap for art of communication, really, you know, you, you, I, we had already come up with the idea mm -hmm. of like doing courses, but I didn't know what to do beyond that. How do you continually add value and hunt down new value to bring? Yeah. So I, it's a, actually a really easy answer for me. Uh, I'm not looking for things I'm passionate about. I'm looking to bring passion to what I'm doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, uh, I was thinking about this today. Mm -hmm. There are huge elements of what I do. Not, not so much for you guys. And I'm not saying this cause you're here. Like mm -hmm. I really enjoy the high level stuff. I still work with like really beginning people. And so 
like just just imagine like I've, I've done thousands of hours of coaching over the last five and a half years. Not an exaggeration, mm -hmm. work with 800 clients. I still work with like 31 to one clients, right? And so I have questions that I have answered in the hundreds of times, like the, whether it's someone mm -hmm. second guessing themselves, and they're like, oh, what if I create content online and people are gonna like judge me? And I'm like walking them through it and things like that. <laughs> Um, and so there are huge areas of my business that I'm like not passionate about. I'm like, man, I, I'm, I'm sick of these topics. Like I want to graduate. I want to like, but the thing that I'm am passionate about is helping people. Mm. And so when I started to realize that I am able to reshape people's identity, because if you, if you would ask me like, what am I on here on earth to do? I think I'm here on earth to help people remember who they are and what they're living for. Right. And so it's, it's, it was true as a pastor. It's true as a business coach. And so when I realized that every time I coach someone, it's an opportunity to reshape the way they think about themselves and the way that they see themselves in the world and their worldview and their self-image, that's so, that's, I can't believe I get paid to do that. Hmm. Like this is, this is really heavy, but like mm -hmm. I was thinking today, there's literal slaves in the world mm -hmm. like that, that have no freedom, that have to do backbreaking work that they hate. Hmm. And firstly, if we have, uh, any freedom at all, right? We have a house over our head, right? We have food in the cupboard, we have running water, that's unreal. And then many of us get to actually do things we kind of like. Like, firstly, that's unreal. Like, I can't believe that we get to live that life. And so any day that I get to have any level of autonomy about what my life looks like, this is a good day because many people don't get that. Mm. And so I think for me, it's just this immense perspective of like, yeah, there are so many days I'm, like I'm creating modules or showing up to calls or whatever. I'm like, man, I just, I can't believe I get to live this life. I can't believe that I'm so lucky to have been born where I was born, to have the mentors when I was 10, 11, 12, to, mm -hmm. be, to live this life. And so when I think about the times that I'm struggling to add value to people, it's because I'm too much in my own stuff yeah. and I'm focused mm -hmm. on what I feel like I have to do out of obligation versus what I get to do out of privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's I felt like I brought a heavy talk no, there, but no, it's like, no, but, but so you, are, you asked the question. Yeah. I think like that, that's the key for me is like yeah. the value thing is less strategic. It's less like, how can I yeah. add value? It's more like, how can I just help this person yeah. be in less pain? Because yeah. like, it doesn't matter whether you're a billionaire and you're having money problems yeah. or you're, you're in poverty. The stress can be at similar levels, right? Yeah. And so whatever people are going through, people are going through real pain. And I think for me, like I, I try and live this painkiller life. I don't want to be a vitamin in people's lives. This yeah. nice to have. I don't want what yeah. I sell to be that relationally. I don't want to be that. I want to be this immense value add that that I feel like I'm bringing, uh, not so much pain relief, right? Of course, yeah. it's just friendship sometimes, but but really just trying to solve actual problems for people, as opposed to like just doing fluffy stuff or just being so lost in the money so lost in the goals, so lost yeah. in the outcomes yeah. that I forget about the beauty of loving the process. Yeah, I mean, we, we t I texted you the other night and it was like a hard day for me and I said, I can't believe we get to live this life. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, I don't think I was, I could have been more stressed, like anxiety filled and exhausted. Yeah. And then it was just like, when, when I got down to it, it was like, I get to sleep in my bed tonight. Dude. And tomorrow I get to wake up and go, do a bunch of stuff we never thought we could do last year yeah. and then the year before. But you know, we talk about real slaves in the world and it's such a real thing and it's heartbreaking. But then there's real people who are walking around us every day who are a slave to their own world. Yeah. Who need like, we? I have this book in front of us and it's, this is not a sales thing, but this is the crux of this entire podcast is making that mind shift and helping people make that mental switch where they can 
free themselves from being inside the matrix. Yeah. And we joke about that all the time, being like, get him out of the matrix. We got to get him out of the matrix. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. Last night at the LAFC game, oh, I had a couple of friends there. And one of the guys, David, he, um, you know, he owns a company that has like 20, 30 companies inside of it. Yeah, he owns a conglomerate. A conglomerate, yeah. yeah. And he just had a $4.2 billion settlement with the DOJ. And so he's debt free. And, you know, and I'd forgotten this. But last night he go. He said, "You know why? You know why I um, I trust you." And, and I and I and I said, "No." And he goes, "It was like five years ago. I was in Dubai and I was working on a deal. It was like you know I, I don't know if it was like a billion dollar deal or something like that. And it was going bad. It was all tanking, and I was stressed out and overwhelmed and and um, on medication and all this stuff. And and I text you because I thought I'll text Irwin because he'll pray for me and he'll you know he'll comfort me." And I remember getting this text in the middle of the night. I didn't remember it was him five years ago. But when he said goodbye, I remembered the text. And he said, I sent you this text in the middle of the night, and you responded right away. And instead of saying, hey, I'm praying for you, and it's going to be okay, you, you told me to man up and put my big boy pants on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just, I really just asked him a series of questions. Yeah. I said, you're in Dubai? And he goes, yeah. One of the most like, beautiful cities in the world? He goes, yeah. And you're working on like a multi, whatever, billion dollar deal? And he goes, yeah. You mean like a deal that very few people in the world ever get to like to work on? He goes, mm -hmm. yeah. Your, your wife's still with you? Yeah. Your kid's okay? Yeah. So you're getting to travel the world, work on billion dollar deals. You know how good your life is. Mm -hmm. and, and he reminded me the last night, he goes, when you did that to me, and uh, it shook me. Because I wanted comfort, but you called me out mm. and reminded me how good my life was. He goes, and the next day I closed that deal. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't think there are billions of enough dollars sometimes to cause us to always remember how good life is. Yeah, you, you know. And there are people who struggle with poverty who wake up feeling they have a great life. Yeah, and people who have billions who feel like their life is miserable. Mm. And so one of the things, you know, I think we've all learned is that all the stuff in the world doesn't change that internal perspective. You have to do that, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, when you had nothing and you didn't have a car and you had a wife and, you know, a kid and you're trying to make things work, you had to have incredible anxiety in that process. And yet you, you always do have this, it seems like an indomitable kind of hope in you, Dan. You know, and I know you've gone back and forth. You told me you were drinking every day and you were struggling. And so I think you're the real life tension of, you know, trying to create a life that you want. Your inner world sometimes a disaster mm -hmm. and you're trying to catch up with it. How do you find a rhythm where you make sure that your inner world isn't chasing behind your external, your outer world? One of the things that has been most helpful for me over the last few years is learning like who I am and who I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I think we oftentimes live within labels like mm -hmm. entrepreneur, pastor. The problem is that it's always so much nuanced. Like, yeah. like if there was one word that I would use to describe me, it's hybrid. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not a petrol car, I'm not a electric car, like I'm both, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, one of the things that was really uh, hard for me for so long was um, I'm a, I'm a creative at heart. Like I grew up, all I wanted to do was play music. In fact, when I was 17, our plan was, me and this group of friends was like, we're gonna move to LA and play music and go to Mosaic. 
Right. That was like 2007. That was that was a little legit plan. And then those those guys went off and got like real jobs. They sold out. They sold they out. Sold out. <laughs> University. Um, and uh, and so this whole idea of labels, like it was so challenging for me because when I stepped into entrepreneurship, I just started listening to the loudest entrepreneurs mm. that had like the this is what entrepreneurship looked like. And so. I was this creative at heart and then I was spending all days in meetings and back-to-back -back Zoom calls and running teams and things like that. And it wasn't until I became really self-aware of the things that I'm really good at and things I'm not good at. Like I need a lot of, I need a lot of time uh, free in my calendar to, to think and reflect. I think it's one of my greatest strengths is like learning, thinking, reflecting. The less time I have for that, the less energy I have in myself, the, the greater the pain, the greater the level of stress. And there was a great quote by um, by someone called Brooke Castillo. She's like the top life coach in the world. She made something like 52 million last year. She's mm. unreal. And she said, burnout doesn't come from the amount of hours you work, but by the core emotion fueling your work, mm. right? So you, you we've all met people who got burnt out working 20 hours a week. And you're yeah. like, How? sorry, how? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, because it's, it's the emotion fueling the work. And yeah. so for me, the emotion fueling the work was like insecurity and ego thinking I had to become someone I'm not. And so even thinking about speaking at the arena this week, there were so many weeks, uh, so many moments in the last few weeks, I was waiting for you guys to cancel me. And I was going to be like relieved. I was like, I'll just come as an attendee. Let's go. <laughs> because I think um, it's, it's uh, so many of us are living from the outside in. Yeah. And so we're thinking about, I'm, uh, you know, getting caught in these moments of thinking about how can I look cool at the arena and how can I be impressive rather than like, how can I be an awesome version of Dan Bolton? Mm -hmm. And I think the more that I've worked from the outside in, the more stressed the inside became, mm -hmm. right? And the more I started to take care of myself first and understanding that like, unless I build a business that serves my life rather than creating a life that has to serve my business, I'll never be able to fully experience that level of peace. And so I'm, I'm very much on the journey, but like, I don't live a stressed life. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was sitting down with someone a few weeks ago and they, uh, used to do a billion dollars a year in real estate sales, like their, mm. their agency. And they've since had this, this huge transformation of health, both inside and out. And one of the things he was saying to me uh, on a call a few weeks ago is he said, I believe that I'm gonna take my business to like a million dollars a week in this education space. He said, but there are two things I'm unwilling to do. I'm unwilling to uh, work more than 20 hours a week because of the commitments I have for my family. And the second thing is I'm unwilling to let any level of bad stress into my life. Now there's the good stress that stretches mm -hmm. us, that causes us to grow. Right. But I think I've made that same commitment of like, I'm unwilling to create a business and put myself in positions that I have to live in a state of bad stress. Mm. And I think in doing that, it's it's helped so much bring peace and joy and health into the, uh, the center of who I am. But it came from the self-awareness of realizing I was trying to live as someone I wasn't. Mm. I was trying to live someone else's version of success, creating a business that other people were proud of that I wasn't proud of, creating a schedule that other people would have loved that I hated. And I think really getting self-aware and, and taking account of who I am, my skill set, my personalities. I'm not you. I'm not Alex Hormozzi. I'm not Gary Vee. So who's Dan Bolton? And then leaning into that conversation. I love that. Well, I love who Dan Bolton is. You know, tonight I have um, uh, a lot of the, uh, the men that are in my uh, mastermind coming to my house um, and be grilling baby back ribs, whole chickens, ribeyes. I love the fact that my mastermind comes into my house. And and so I'm going to have to excuse myself because I got to go cook. Are you leaving? <laughs> this is you exiting? <laughs> Are you me. serious right now? This, this is, is how me. you do this to us? <laughs> and, uh, You're abandoning us. <laughs>
how has that showed up for you? Like when you think about all the hats that you've worn over the years, and I yeah. think like being your friend for a decade now, decade, yeah. I think there was a, a long season where there was like, you were the pastor's son. Yeah. And then you were like, maybe I'm gonna walk that same path and then yeah. you're in fashion and like, and yeah. now I think you've found a really sweet spot. Like what does that look like for you in terms of your own personal evolution? Yeah, man, I think it's been really unique. I think 2019 was a really interesting year because we were, I mean, we had planted churches, many of them. We went from like one single, you know, campus in Hollywood to eight around, you know, around the world, which was for us a big deal. And I, you know, I led one of my own, which I thought was really um, kind of crazy. Shout out Venice. Shout out Venice, yeah, Mosaic Venice, and it was amazing. And, and it was it was one of the most special experiences of my life. And it also felt like one of those moments where uh, I wasn't gonna try to recreate again, you know? And not to say that it won't happen in the future, but for me in that moment, it was just, it felt okay during COVID to go, okay, I gotta say goodbye to this. And shout out to like the phenomenal people that journeyed with us for five years. Like it was f such a fun, fun season, but it was hard to build something to the point where, you know, we had a, we had a cool little moment where we had guys, you know, we had guys like flying in on jets to like, cause their daughters were like, and their sons were like, oh, we gotta go to Venice. No way. You know, and so just getting like crazy DMs and crazy videos and, and then just having people life changing, like in that city and that community. And, and, and so that was really special, you know? And then I think from that point, the 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 switch in COVID was just survival a little bit it was like i'm sick of asking people to to give to something that we're trying to build i want to be someone who could just give to what we want to build and having a value and knowing our value set and our generosity and and you know i convinced him and just said like hey if we're we're some of the most generous people i know why why aren't we wealthier you know and just for the savage reason of like i want to give more money away i right. want to be more generous i want to be able to help the people in my world and we talked about this like uh, initially i had this crazy plan of like buying a house for every single person that i loved that we could like create a real estate thing and and just all the crazy ideas and then it's kind of gone to a place now where i'm like i love to create i love to build brands i love to build things and you know that's my favorite person in the world my dad and and so getting to build into a brand that i really believe in is is has been like a life calling you know so to be able to help him pivot to go this is a new avenue a new place to influence business leaders to influence designers and coaches and have this consulting biz has been phenomenal mm. it's been a really uh, a journey of unknown i hate right. talking about the business like in fact like when i go out and i will not talk about work yeah i met somebody they're like what do you do and i was like i do business and they were like <laughs> and i was with my you know with with my situationship and they were like tell them what you do and i was like no and like i like my prerequisite is i do not talk about what i do outside of the people that i think we would work with yeah it was the opposite of you you talk about it with everyone he my dad is the biggest evangelist of everything that we do i will only talk about it with people that it, i think it actually makes sense to talk yeah, about it with and so i still i'm figuring out my identity identity has always been an issue right you know and being confident in my identity has always been an issue but i think this week even launching the arena having these people flying from around the world having this special community that we've built over the last four months it's really helped that yeah. you know so i think figuring out the space in which we bring value has been redefined i think that's like such an underrated point that so many of us think that reinvention or transition is so clear-cut so you yeah, think about no. it in terms of a job you finish one day you start another job the challenge is when life is not that clean and clear. So think about beliefs. Yeah, it's yeah. like, are you Republican or Democrat? It's yeah. like, it I depends which day, dude. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but it's like, uh, well, you're neither. I'm, I'm neither. Bali. Right? I live in you're Bali. the best, I'm not, I'm the best in both the world. No, no one. But I think like 
we we like to black and white life to yes. a, to a point that's unrealistic. We live within labels. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's 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 an interesting like I- ideology and in reality and existence that whether it's race, whether it's genre, whether it's uh, location yeah. and street and neighborhood, like we live by labels. We are yeah. we are serial numbers. Right. to some degree right yeah so breaking outside of that ideology and that reality takes time yeah for me there was a mourning process for sure it was easier with covid because it was like hey this this was this beautiful thing you built in venice it's over now there's no choice right you know the government shut down everything in la la was like locked down there's nothing i could do so you had to reinvent to yeah. survive and i and and that for me was amazing because i think it, it helped me understand oh, I, I can survive yeah and not only survive i can thrive yeah. and not only thrive i can create and and then create a space where more people can come in and join us. Yeah. And that I think for me and for us, you know, I, me and my dad, I think that's that's the whole point. It's like we don't just like doing this life. We don't want to just make money to make money. We want to do it to actually build a world in which the world gets better. Yeah. And create that a positive community in that way. Um, but reinventing yourself is scary. And I think it's easy to look back and go, Ah, I did it. Of course. Versus being like, I'm doing it, and this sucks. <laughs> you yeah. know. And I and I, I I even you know I I I feel like every after every phone call that I have I'm calling three or four people that are my friends and going like here's some of the like distributing the information that you give to me right on the on the gray market <laughs> I'm the bootleg I will God oh. bless my business I send everyone back to you <laughs> I'm like you want the real thing this I'm giving you the fake easies go to, go to the right the right, right guy but, but I think uh, I think not getting caught in the overthinking that we need to be like I was talking to a friend recently yeah. and he was telling me about his diet. And he was like, I'm a medicinal meat eating vegan. <laughs> and I was like, tell me more about that. And he's like, well, I think eating animals is like pretty bad. And so yeah. I don't want, I want to minimize it, but it seems like meat's really good for me. And so I'm like 80 to 90% vegan. And like 10% of the time I'll eat meat when I feel like my body needs me to. Yeah. And I found that approach so refreshing because here is a guy living in two tensions. Yeah. I don't want to eat animals, but they also seem to be really good for me. And so therefore, this is this is the middle ground and the tension I'm living within. Yeah. And I think you we all have to get so comfortable in that place of the unknown and the mystery of things. Like if you think about belief systems, like who is God? Like bro, I'm figuring this thing out. Like yeah. I don't know. Like I yeah. I don't fit within this prescribed label of like I'm a this denomination. This what I have no idea. But if I had to wait to figure it all out, I wouldn't do anything. Hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to share my faith. I wouldn't be able to uh, live out of conviction that God is real and that He wants me to do something with my life. Hmm. If I waited to learn everything about business, I could never help anyone with business. Right. And I think it's like that challenge of like our identity is both in the now and in the then. It's both in the who we are and in the who we're becoming, and it's in that tension that we live our life. Yeah. So, how did you reconcile not knowing nearly enough and yet coaching people who needed you to know? Yeah, well, this is so, so, so much of this is psychology, right? It's like, it's like, what, what's going on? Mind shift. Shout out, mind shift. Yeah, no, no. If you haven't, um, if you haven't pre ordered it, you need oh, to or, order it. You need to order it now. But so, so life, your life is built on a series of mind shifts, right? right? For better or for worse, right? You, you could have a mind shift that's negative, right? Where you could think lesser of yourself. And so, so much of my life, I have spent cultivating my mindset because I realized when I was younger, that there was the only thing that was gonna get me out of the perils of everything I was going through and the path I was going down, right? And so, so much of my life early on was like doom and gloom. Like I, I was seeing the future of 
the path I could go down. And so I realized like so much of what I had to do was figure out how to get out. And so I became a personal development junkie alongside like going to church and things like that. I started reading at uh, reading big books at a really young age from like 18 to 22. I was probably reading a book a week. And so when it came to business, to answer your question of like, what got me through that and the transition and reinvention, uh, I just had a number of core beliefs. So like, firstly, I think my mind is mostly a good place. Like it's a, it's a pretty healthy spot because I spent lots so long cultivating it. But I adopted a few beliefs that were really helpful. My number one belief was like, I just believe in my ability to figure it out. And I think like learning is one of those meta skills that if you, if you acquire the skill of learning and a passion for learning, you can't go wrong. So there's like nothing that I feel like I can't learn. Like I'm, I can play two instruments pretty well. Uh, I can do handstand walks, even as a bigger guy. I can squat like 500, uh, 400 pounds and yeah. deadlift 500. Like I've got all these skill sets that seem interconnected, but the meta skill set is learning. Yeah. Like it's my ability to like go go look at gym tutorials and figure out like the exact right way to do a deadlift and a squat. Yeah. And so I think like when it came to business, it was the same approach. I was like, I can figure this out. And so like the first skill I got really good at was Facebook ads. And it's because I watched and rewatched and learned everything I could about Facebook ads when it came to modules and YouTube, both paid stuff and free stuff. And I think that's a really underrated uh, understanding is that whatever challenge you're facing in life, chances are the answer is in a book somewhere or now it's on YouTube, hmm. right? Which is even better. And I think that was a huge belief that I was like, people have gone before me. I'm like early-ish in the internet, make money online era, but I'm not the earliest. Hmm. And so there are people out there that I can either pay for advice or watch videos online or read books that have got the knowledge that I need. And so I was just unrelenting and finding that knowledge and figuring it out. And so whether it was like texting friends, whether it was, hmm. um, hiring mentors whether it was working with coaches and courses like at this yeah. point i've probably spent probably four hundred thousand dollars in the last few years on my own education yeah. right which is ironic from a high school dropout i'm like more passionate about education yeah, than ever yeah, but in a different more money way. than a university student in oh, the US, 100%. which is which is interesting because it's 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 a different set of value set right because yeah. yeah, it's not institutionalized yeah that you go and I, I you is the wild west you had to go and find it yeah and then choose it yeah versus getting accepted to it and then feeding into it yeah which is i think is a different mindset right because i think especially in the western or like in in the u.s like you get accepted to these universities and then they put you on a track and the track usually leads to i have no idea what i want to do with my life yeah right unless it's very specific where you're you know you're going into being a lawyer or a doctor or you know a specific thing you're you oftentimes i think people leave going yeah i don't know what i just did for four yeah. years other than learn a bunch of things that maybe might be useful and may, maybe not yeah you know i remember my first my freshman year at my university, I, I was in uh, Accounting 101, and I, I sat there for five minutes, I did roll call, and then he drew something on the board, and I looked at that, and it looked like hieroglyphics to me, <laughs> and I'm terrible with math, and, um, and I got up and walked out, and he said, man, that's where you're going, I said, I realized that I'm, I found an accountant on Google, and I'll hire him, and he just laughed, <laughs> I said, I think I'm a creative, yeah. and I walked out. And I switched my major, and then I dropped out a, a, two years later. Yeah, realizing that going the, the things I can learn, I can go and find on my own. Yeah, how important is it for you that journey? Because I think if it had just been given to you, no, we wouldn't have seen it the same way. One hundred percent. So like this reminds me of when I was speaking in high schools. Yeah. So when I was when I was both at teenage level and a little bit older, I was working in the church. I would speak in high schools, like connected to the church and things yeah. like that. And I remember reading. a 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Scale School. I hope you found something valuable in today's episode. If you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you can be notified every time we drop future episodes. And if you and I have not already connected, feel free to track me down on any one of the social media platforms. My big head and smiling face are no doubt going to be there. And you can just search my name, Dan Bolton, and we can connect there. But thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you in a future episode.